Amen. Thank you, Brother Dalton. And that is a very appropriate song for tonight. Only Christians can sing a song like that. God puts a song in our heart. Now, I thought that he was going to say when he was looking for a song to go with the message tonight that he was going to favor us a little with a little Neil Diamond and, <laughs> and sing Song Sung Blue. I mean, that would be really appropriate. Um, but he didn't do that. But he sang a good song, for sure. Open your Bibles now, if you would, please, to the book of Psalms, chapter 137. 137th Psalm. In our studies of the Old Testament, I, I know one thing that you surely are aware of by now, that as we read the Old Testament, what we read is not necessarily in chronological order. When we were studying uh, the book of Nehemiah and also Old Testament events, one of the things that we learned is the events that happen in Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, those books actually, uh, the events of those books happen toward the close of the Old Testament period, even though they come in the first half of the Old Testament. And likewise, when we begin to read the Psalms, um, some of the information that we have there was written 1,000 years before Christ came, and yet there are other things that were written as some of the very last things that were written in the Bible before the 400 years of silence and the end of the Old Testament period. And uh, you're probably aware of this as well, that the book of Psalms is actually a book of songs, S-O-N-G-S. These were intended to be sung. And you can find some very joyous songs as you read the Psalms, such as Psalm 100. And you can find some very sad, melancholy songs, like the one that we read here in Psalm 137. The Hebrews uh, really weren't very much different than we are today because they like to sing happy songs and they like to sing sad songs. So we can sing a real happy song like, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Or we can sing a real sad song like some of the country music songs. And uh, some of those are very sad. Uh, By the time you get through listening to a country music song, as you know, you're ready to shoot yourself in your head just to get it over with. And, and, you know, that's really my opinion of country music. Uh, I heard this once that if you, uh, this is good advice, that if you're in a room, if you're in a room with Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, and a country music singer, you have a gun with two bullets, who do you shoot? You shoot yourself. That's what I think. But psalms are intended to be sung. And interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, there are some churches who actually believe that the only uh, songs that you should sing in church are ones that come from the book of Psalms. There's a group of people called the Strict Baptist Churches, and that's at the denomination, another denomination of Baptists, and they believe that you're not supposed to sing out of a hymn book. You only sing things that come out of the Bible, that come out of the book of Psalms. John Calvin was also one who believed that. But the facts are that there are uh, uh, many sad things to sing about. Uh, Songs are an expression of the way that we feel. When we feel happy, we want to sing happy songs, and we're sad, we sing sad songs. And it just so happens that this psalm is one of the saddest songs that's recorded in all of the Bible. And it deals with a subject that we've talked about many times before. It deals with the sadness of Israel after they lost their homeland. When they were taken into captivity and deported to Babylon, they remembered all the things that they had back in their homeland, and they were very sad about what they were missing because of the sin that they had entered into against a holy God. And that's why that we can say that this is probably one of the last things that was written in the Old Testament, because this is a song that was written probably not during the captivity, but actually afterwards, as the people began to remember what that was like being in Babylon. 
So this could very well have been one of the songs that they sang in the time of Nehemiah. It's possible that as the children of Israel marched around that wall after it had been rebuilt, that this may very well have been one of the songs that they sang. Tonight I want to talk about this song, and we're going to learn something here about the misery of the Jews when they were away from home. And if you'd stand with me, please, as we read the 137th Psalm, I'm going to speak to you on the subject tonight, Song Sung Blue. Psalm 137, beginning with verse number 1. By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning." If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. And I want you to notice that the song changes here in verse number 7. And what we have here is what we called in the book of Nehemiah an imprecatory prayer. And if you remember that, that's a prayer of judgment. So they begin to pray against Babylon. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom, and that stands for Babylon, in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it. That means tear it down even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again to be in this service tonight. I ask you, Lord, that you might help us to learn something from this psalm. Help us to see what it, what it is for a Christian to be out of fellowship with God. And Lord, how sad that is not to be in the place of blessing. Speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. Show us something from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Before we go on uh, discussing this psalm tonight, I want to remind you of some things that we talked about when we were studying uh, the book of Nehemiah. Now, I have have discussed this with you on several different occasions, how that uh, God's judgment fell upon Israel. Because of Israel's sin of worshiping false gods, uh, God brought judgment upon the nation. And as we know, Israel was once a very prosperous country. Uh, There were two great kings that ruled Israel. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. Then Solomon came along. He was the next great king. And Solomon was one who prayed for only one thing when he took over this kingdom. He prayed that God would give him wisdom to rule such a great people. And God gave him wisdom. And not only did God do that, but he also added to Solomon wealth so that Solomon became the richest king that the world has ever seen. And the Bible tells us that in the kingdom of Solomon, that gold and silver were so plentiful, it was just like finding the rocks that were on the ground. But the unfortunate thing about Solomon is that he began to channel his, his uh, uh, wisdom and things that God had gave him, his wealth. He channeled it in the wrong direction. He made alliances with foreign women, and eventually those women led him away from God. When Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took the throne. And Rehoboam didn't have the wisdom of Solomon. And not relying upon God and his power to lead the people, uh, Rehoboam sinned greatly as well, and God caused the kingdom to be divided. And so in 922 B.C., the kingdom of Israel was divided into a northern portion and a southern portion. And it wasn't just a few years after that that the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. 
Later in 587 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah fell to the Babylonians. And this is what we're reading about here. The temple in Israel was destroyed, the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and the children of Israel were taken into Babylon. And the reason that the children of Israel were carried away was not because of weakness. It wasn't because they were a weak country, because any time that you have God on your side, you know that you aren't weak. The problem with Israel was their wickedness. And God allowed them to be taken captives into a foreign land because they had deserted the true God, because they stopped following the Lord as he wanted them to. And so God brought a pagan nation upon them. And that nation uh, uh, destroyed, uh, Israel destroyed Jerusalem and took the people captive. Now, God was using Babylon. Babylon was never in control of this. It's God who is in control. And what God did was to bring Israel to its knees in repentance. He brought them to a place where they were broken. And Babylon is a type of the world. Babylon is a place that always leads to bareness and bitterness and brokenness. And you'll find that as a Christian, whenever you get away from God, this is where your life is headed. Barrenness, brokenness, and bitterness. But as we read the psalm here in Psalm 137, verse number 1, they use the word Zion here. And Zion is another name for, Je- for Jerusalem. And Jerusalem means peace. And what these people were remembering was what it was like when they were back in Jerusalem. They had the peace and the prosperity of God. The only place that a Jew could be happy was in God's place, in God's place of holiness. Now, the only people who can be happy in Babylon are Babylonians. And God's people couldn't be happy there. In Babylon, there were two types of people. There were captives and there were captors. The captives represent or are the people of God. And the captors are the oppressors against the people of God. And folks, whenever we fall into sin and we get away from the Lord, we become Christians in captivity. And that's what this psalm is about. I want to show you tonight what it's like to be out of the place of blessing. So tonight the subject is Song Sung Blue. Now let's notice some things as we uh, look at this psalm and let's compare it to the backslidden Christian. First of all, we can talk about the miserable sorrow because here we do find Israel in miserable sorrow and they begin to sing their song. And in the first verse they say, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. So here we see a song of broken hearts. It's a song of depression because now these people realize what it was like not following God. Jerusalem was a place of glory. glory. The uh, presence of the Lord was there. Uh, the, The blessing of God was there. The temple was there. The delight of serving God was there. But these people are out of the way of blessing and the reaction of the people of God to a circumstance like that is exactly what we would expect. Now, I want to show you first that sin caused them to be heartsick. They said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. And so from the moment that they arrived in Babylon, the mistakes that they had made in turning away from God became a lump in their throats. They couldn't sing their song. And they were reminded uh, of the differences of being God's people in God's place and being God's people out of God's place. And you know, sometimes I think that Christians are are like the old cow, the cow that sticks his head through the fence because he wants to get to the grass that's on the other side. 
I was driving home on Stony Point the other day and pulled up to a stop sign there. Actually, it was one of the streets crossing Stony Point. And I, and I pulled up to a stop sign, and I noticed that there was this huge bull right to my right there. And he had his head sticking through a barbed wire fence trying to reach the grass that was right on the other side of that fence. Now, here, here I'm looking at this bull, and I'm thinking, well, that has to be painful. There he is. He's standing in a whole field of grass, and he's got his head stuck through the fence. The barbs are sticking into the back of his neck. Why does he do that? And I begin to think, that's just like a Christian. We're standing in the field of grass. We have the God. We have our blessings of God here, and we start to look for greener pastures for other things, and we think that the things of the world somehow are going to satisfy us. But the things of the world never satisfy God's people. Now, as, as these Israelites looked around Babylon, I mean, it was a rich place. There was, there was a lot of, of things there. I mean, it was a nice place to live. It was a prosperous city. Beautiful things were in Babylon. But there's not a Christian who, who ever lived who can be happy in Babylon. In fact, in, in Babylon, a Christian is never free. He's in bondage. And you may remember that the Apostle Paul said in Romans that when we continue to live in our sins and we go into the old way of life again, that we're living like we're still in bondage. And he says, why do you want to live that way? And so in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And so in Babylon, the Israelites were slaves. And a Christian who lives in this world and disobeys God becomes a slave once again to the misery of sin. Now, folks, here's something that you need to know about God. God will let you go to Babylon. If you want to go to Babylon, God will let you. But he won't let you be happy there. Now, people begin to look for other things. They they may leave and look for greener pastures because of economic reasons. They may be pleasure seekers. They may want a different set of friends. But if that place is not the home where God wants you, you can expect that you'll always be miserable when you're there. So they were heartsick because they were in Babylon. Next, I want you to notice that sin caused them to be homesick. Anybody here ever been homesick? No, I, I know what it's like to be homesick. I remember when I first came to California that I came by myself. My, my wife stayed behind, and with the kids, they were finishing up school. So I came out here, and for seven months, I was living out here without my wife and my family. And I knew what it was like to be homesick. I remember one time I had a meeting in Atlanta, and so I flew to Atlanta, and uh, my wife was still in Lexington, and I had her drive that 400 miles so I could just see her there because I missed my wife. And so I know what homesick is, is being about. Now, being homesick, folks, is is not a fun feeling. And that's how the children of Israel felt. They looked at their surroundings, and it was nice in one way. The surroundings were beautiful, lush and green. Verse number 2, in fact, says they sat under the willows. But Babylon was not their home. I want to tell you just a little bit about my experience with willows. When I was growing up, we had a huge willow tree in our backyard. And it was a beautiful tree to look at. But my dad found out that there's a real good use for a willow tree. And, uh, you know, a willow tree, grows, when it grows, the, the branches are real thin and they're whispery and they're, and they're real flexible and they make very good switches. And my dad found that out. And, he, and sometimes when we were bad, disobedient, and Linda can testify to this, dad make you go out there and cut your own switch off the tree sometimes. And he'd teach you that the path of obedience is the best way to go. And folks, this is the way I think about Israel sitting under the willow trees. 
God was using the willow trees there as his chastisement upon them. And that was God's switch to let them know that obedience is the best way for any child of God to go. And because they were disobedient, that's why they were heartsick. It's why they were homesick. It's why they felt the way that they did. And as they sat under those willow trees, what they felt was the remorse of sin. And if you claim to be a Christian and you're living in Babylon and you feel no remorse for sin, then don't count on the fact that you're really a child of God. Because God doesn't let his children be happy in Babylon. I mean, when God saves people, he changes them. And God's people want to live in the place of God's blessing. You know why many people drop out of church? It's really because they were never a part of church to begin with. Some people think, well, I've had my name put on the roll. And so that must mean I'm okay. Everything's fine. I'm in God's will. I've got my name on somebody's church roll somewhere. somewhere. And then they fall into sin. They get out of church and... What we discover is they were never a part of the church to begin with. You see, having your name on a church roll, getting baptized, none of those things has anything to do with whether you're really in the church of God. I mean, being in God's church, first of all, means that you have to be a saved person. You have to trust God and have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And then you get your name put on the church roll. You may go through the waters of baptism, and then you become a real member of God's church. That's so you've got to be saved first before that can happen. And many people who have their names on the church rolls aren't saved. And so they're not really a part of God's, of God's people. So God's people can't be happy because once they've tasted Jesus, just like uh, Dalton was sung about just a minute ago, you can't be satisfied with anything the world has. Once you know Christ, the world doesn't have anything to offer you. You know, I remember a few years ago we were, we were visiting Italy. And most of you know I don't like Italian food. In fact, if you, if you take me out to dinner, don't take me to Olive Garden. The only thing they have, I mean, everything on the menu in Olive Garden has garlic in it. So don't take me to Olive Garden because I don't like garlic. I mean, that's for the devil. So that, that, I don't like that. But we're visiting Italy, and, and we'd been there for several days. And we were walking through the city of Venice. And, and one, one, as we were walking down the street, I mean, I, you know, I, I was fed up with Italian food. I had about up to here, no pun intended, but I was fed up with Italian food. But I'm walking down the street and I round the corner and heaven opened before my eyes. The most glorious sight I ever saw. Angels began to sing because right there in front of me was a, a, a yellow and red sign that said Wendy's on it. And I, th- and I thought, man, that's just like home. That's a reminder of home. I mean, forget veal parmesan. Give me a d- double with cheese. That's what I want. In the book of Revelation, it tells us that there's a river of life that runs there and there's uh, 12... There's trees that bear 12 different manners of fruit. You know, fruit's a wonderful thing. I hope you like fruit. But in heaven, there's got to be a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm not going to be happy if there's not. But, but you see, this is like a Christian trying to live in Babylon. The world's fair, the world's food, everything it has to offer. It can't make a Christian happy. You're never going to be happy there. Eventually, you stay in Babylon long enough, and you're going to have to have your stomach pumped. You're not going to like it. And so people get homesick. Christians get homesick when they're among the world's crowd. And if you don't get homesick for God's people, then you are never a Christian in the first place. Now, I want you to notice something else about why this song was so blue. They didn't sing a happy song because of the mean sarcasm. And we see here mean sarcasm. I mean, they were in miserable sorrow, and the Babylonians began to taunt them with mean and biting sarcasm. Look at verse number 3. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us 
one of the songs of Zion. So I can see these people in Babylon right now. They're saying, hey, Jews, sing us one of those sweet little Christian songs. Sing us one of those Christian songs about your hero, Jesus. Tell us all about him. Sing that kind of a song. And they're taunting them. What kind of a God is it that lets you go into captivity? Why aren't you in Zion now? Let's hear about this great God of yours. And so they began to taunt them. And there was sarcasm in their voices because of that. And so you see where the sin got them? Sin made them laughingstocks before the people of Babylon. So they couldn't sing their song. I want you to notice that sin brought them slavery. I'm not going to talk much about this because we've already uh, mentioned this point. But can you think of anything that's more demeaning to people? To people who had the very power of God living within them? That had a great God who created the universe that could do all things? And now here they are, the people of God, serving Jehovah God and their slaves to a heathen people. Folks, there was nothing more demeaning, nothing more degrading to a Jew than to be with people who constantly defied themselves with things that God had strictly forbade them to do. But they were there, and you know why? Because they performed the same acts that the heathens did. They were living like heathens. And so God said, if you want to practice those things, then I'll put you in a place where they practice them all the time. And so here is Israel being mocked by those that they considered to be inferior heathens. heathens. And they're saying, where is your God? And so they became slaves to them. Notice also that their sin brought them shame. And let me tell you something about shame. It's bad enough for you to be shamed. That, that's bad enough. It was bad for these people to be made fun of and to be mocked by those heathens in Babylon. But I'll tell you something that's worse than that. It's because they gave the enemies of God a chance to load its cannons against Jehovah God. Remember the story when David committed adultery with, with Bathsheba? When he had Uriah, her husband, killed? Do you know what the worst thing about that whole affair was? It was the fact that what David did brought shame upon his God. The prophet Nathan spoke to David and he said, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Do you know what the world loves? The world loves to see a Christian fall. The world likes to see you when you fall in your faith. Now, you can take people who live in the world, and they can be the biggest hypocrites who ever lived, and, and they can overlook all of their inconsistencies. But the first time that you as a Christian, when you fall, when you don't honor your faith, when you sin against God and they see that, then they begin to taunt you. And they begin to say, where is your God? Where is that God that you claim to serve? This Christianity thing that you talk about all the time, that's just a ruse. Your God is all smoke and mirrors. So where is the God that you sing about? Where is Christ? And here's what happened. Israel and Babylon, they are reproached in the name of God. And whenever a Christian joins himself to worldly activities, then he also becomes a mock, a mockery to the Savior. So they sat down by the river and the heathen sang, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Sing us a song about how great your God is. Where is this God that you talk about all the time? And I suspect that there are some lost people out there that are looking at the lives of Christians and they're saying to us, where is your God? Where is that God that you claim to serve? You remember I was telling you about that, that bumper sticker that I saw when I was coming home from San Francisco one day. And no doubt the guy driving the car was some kind of godless heathen like most of them down there. 
but he's, uh, he's coming home from San Francisco, and I see the bumper sticker on his car, and it says, God, deliver me from your people. And I thought, how true that is so many times. People look at us who claim to be Christians. They see the way that we live, and they want no part of who we are. So people are watching us. They're watching our actions. And when you become a Christian, you become branded with this name of Christ. And whenever you sin against God, you drag that name through the mud. And this is what Israel experienced. They brought a reproach on the name of their God. So Israel subjected Jehovah God to sarcasm. And you do the same when you say that you're saved, but you live like you're not. So miserable sorrow and mean sarcasm. Now, the third thing that I want to show you from this is the missing song. The Babylonians said, sing us your song. But Israel replies in verse number four, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And as I, as I was reading that, I was thinking about something, and it really doesn't have anything to do with this message, but it came to my mind as I was preparing for this. The Jews were saying, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And what I'm wondering is how can people who are strangers to the Lord sing the Lord's songs? You know, sometimes we hear, and this is really one of my pet peeves, it's when you hear one of these country music singers or somebody of Hollywood's crowd trying to sing the Lord's songs. Now, some of these country music singers, you watch them on television and they can finish up a song where they've been singing about boozing it up. They've been sleeping with somebody's wife. They've been living like the devil. And when they get done with that song, they break out into amazing grace. And everybody thinks, oh, how holy and righteous that is. Look at them singing amazing grace. You know, there's nothing I like better than to hear Willie Nelson sing about weed and then favor us with his rendition of Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Or Elvis Presley, Crying in the Chapel. I love that one. I love him hearing him sing that. How do strangers sing the Lord's songs? You know, I'd rather hear... I'd rather hear a Christian who couldn't carry a tune on a barge than to hear Dolly Parton sing the old rugged cross. Strangers to the Lord can't sing the Lord's songs. Now, these are God's people, but they can't sing the songs of Zion in a strange land. Now, here's what was wrong. Here's what's wrong. They had a song that Satan took from them. What happened here is the devil robbed them of their joy. And so this song that they once sang, the songs of Zion, it got stuck in their throats. They can't sing God's songs in a foreign land. Only those that are free can sing the songs of Zion. You can't sing those songs when you're living in sin. Folks, if you're a Christian and you've got sin in your life, the Bible teaches us that you're living in a foreign land. This this world's not your home. And if you live in the world, the devil's going to steal your song from you. You can't be happy living like that. Now, the Bible says that we're not citizens of the world. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul said, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word conversation there means citizenship. He's saying our citizenship is in heaven. But we also know that the word conversation in our language and also sometimes in the Bible, the word conversation simply means the way that we talk. We identify people by the way that they talk. If you speak French, then you probably think a person is from France. They speak Russian, you probably think that person is a Russian. Hear them speak Arabic and you're probably convinced they're from San Quentin. But they all, uh, people preach, they, they, they speak their language and we think, well, that's where they come from. Now, if you sound like a Christian and we think sometimes, you know, well, that must be a person that's probably from heaven. 
That's his citizenship is in heaven. And if you talk like the devil, then that probably means you're from the world. That's what we usually think. But you know something, folks? We've got this whole thing mixed up because Christians, a lot of times, are speaking a foreign language. Their mouths are in the gutter. We hear gossip that goes on around in the church. And that's not the language you're supposed to speak. James said that Christians who talk like that are singing the wrong song. He said, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. A Christian song is the song of Zion. It's a song of deliverance. David said in the psalm, Psalm 32, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Songs of deliverance. That's what, that's what God's people sing. Do you know that the very first song that re- was recorded in the Bible is a song of deliverance? You'll find it in Exodus chapter 15. And that's when Moses sang. And that was a song of deliverance. Moses was singing about leaving Egypt, how God had brought them across the Red Sea. It was his great song of deliverance, uh, all about coming out of Egypt. And you know what Egypt is? Same thing as Babylon. It represents the world and it represents sin. But what kind of songs do the saints sing? Well, they sing a song about deliverance from sin. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did when he saved us? I mean, didn't Jesus deliver us from sin? Go back to that verse in Romans again. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And so Paul says, when that body of sin is destroyed, you've been free from that sin, and if you're free from it, you can sing a song of deliverance. You know, there's only one thing that can rob a Christian of his song, and that's sin. S-I-N, that's the only thing that robs you of your song. Now, the world looks at it and they think, well, you know, sorrow, that certainly can rob you of your song. But for a Christian, sorrow doesn't rob us of our song. I've seen many Christians in terrible circumstances, sorrowing over the, the loss of loved ones, and Christians don't lose their song. They can still be joyous in sorrow. And we think, well, well, suffering, then, then surely suffering, that must cause a, a Christian to lose his song. But suffering never caused a Christian to lose the song. Remember Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into the Philippian jail. And what are they doing at midnight, chained, uh, chained together there? Their backs beaten to a bloody mess. They're still singing songs of deliverance. Sorrow, suffering, that doesn't steal our song. The only thing that robs a Christian of his song is sin. And that's what Satan does when you get into sin. He robs you of your song. But let me tell you what I have, folks. I have a song that Jesus gave me. The Bible says when I got saved, he put a song in my heart. And I can sing the song that Jesus gave me. The songwriter said, I have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody to those "'Tis a melody of love. "'In my heart there rings a melody. "'There rings a melody of heaven's harmony. "'In my heart there rings a melody. "'There rings a melody of love.'" And that's the song that you get when you trust Jesus. So you don't want the devil to rob you of your song. You don't want to live in the misery of Babylon. And folks, when you see yourself get into that place and you find out that you begin to weep because you're away from God, then you need to turn back. You need to turn around And don't be in the place where you'll lose your happiness. Because when you do, the only song you'll be able to sing is a song sung blue. Now what Christians need to do, we need to come out of Babylon. 
We need to stop being an embarrassment to ourselves and to our God. We need to return and serve Him. How could you sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You can't do it. And we think, well, the world's my friend. Living in the world, you know, it's my friend. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You may think the world's your friend, but it won't be. Sarcasm, misery, that's where a Christian is headed when he goes to Babylon. So you may think the world's your friend now, but what the Bible teaches is that one day this world is going to be destroyed. And we see it in this psalm. It talks about the destruction of Babylon. Let me give you a last thought for your listening sheet tonight. And that is, world, sing now because you're going to suffer later. Now, earlier I said that this might have been a song that they sang when when they marched around the walls in Nehemiah's time. In Nehemiah uh, chapter 12, it says, And the singers sang loud with Jezrahiah, their overseer. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. Now, if you'll look back at your text verses there in verse number 7, Here's one of the stanzas of their song. We read it a moment ago. In verse number 7, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom. And again, Edom stands for Babylon. Remember the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. And you see what that means? Babylon will see the retribution of God. They said... Tear the walls of Jerusalem down. No doubt they danced in their victory marches around that city of Jerusalem as they were destroying it. Oh, they were parading then, but Babylon was about to be destroyed. Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian came and they destroyed Babylon. I mean, I probably, even while they were singing the songs and thinking about what a great country we are, how powerful we are, God destroyed them. And you know, the Apostle Paul said this is exactly what will happen with the world. The world will go on. They'll sing their songs. They think it's all going to be okay. And we don't have to trust God. We don't have to rely on him. Who is this God? And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. So the world had better sing its song now because the day of the Lord is coming. And Christian, knowing that Jesus is going to come back, don't have him come back while you're singing the world song. Come out of Babylon. Change the song that you're singing. I encourage you tonight, stop singing the blues and sing the song that Jesus gave you. And that'll be happiness for your Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, we pray that these words might be an encouragement to us as Christians that we would see how unhappy we are, how miserable we are when we get away from you. The only place that we can be happy is in the place of blessing. And Lord, I pray that if there are Christians tonight that are in Babylon, that they would come out and they would start singing the songs of Zion once again. Bless in this time of invitation. We give you thanks for all things this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.